welcome to Level with Emily Reese. This is music by Enon Zur for Siberia 3, which just came out a couple of weeks ago. You'll hear more from Enon shortly. First, it's Brad Beaumont, the audio director for League of Legends at Riot Games. As fun as it is talking with composers, it is equally fun to talk with the people in charge of the other sounds we hear in games. Throughout our conversation, you'll hear from five of the most recent themes written for champions or characters in the game. Brad didn't write any of it, just to avoid stepping on the toes of those who did, but Brad did hand pick it for us to use in this episode for which we are grateful. Plus, it's pretty frickin' great music. <laughs> Here's Brad. I'm the audio director for League of Legends at Riot Games, and that is basically translates into being the uh, the ringable neck for all things sound for the, <laughs> for the game League of Legends. But honestly, it just kind of boils down to making sure that all the folks on the audio team are delivering kind of the best possible experiences for players. And not just sound experiences. You know, one of the big things that the company is making sure that everyone feels like they have total ownership of everything that they're working on. So, you know, we're expected to have just as much input on stuff like animation and art and all that kind of stuff. So it's uh, just kind of making sure that we're making really cool stuff for players. So how many people are on your team? So the uh, the audio department as a whole is quite a bit bigger, but just League of Legends, uh, we've got, let's see, if you include myself, 13 sound designers. Um, we have a coordinator, one sound mixer that mostly works on things like promos and cinematics, and then just does all kinds of other amazingly ass-kicking stuff for us, <laughs> fully recording and all kinds of stuff. His name's Sean, and he's a, he's a badass. And then uh, we've got a staff of five composers, uh, and they kind of work across different projects, but um, they work on a a ton of stuff for uh, League of Legends. So you said you're a sound designer as well. I am. Okay, so <laughs> uh, I did you come to Riot as the audio lead or for League of Legends, or did you ascend to that position? No, it's interesting. I was working for Riot uh, when I was at my previous company, Sound Deluxe, and um, I got the gig working with Riot because I was a huge fan of League of Legends. I had been playing the game since beta, <laughs> and uh, I was a huge fan, always playing it on my lunch breaks and stuff like that. So everybody just kind of knew that I was probably the right person to work on that stuff. But when that company was sort of transitioning, um, aka shutting down, and a lot of people were going on to uh, start up a new studio, I kind of jumped at an opportunity to transition over to Riot because I'd never worked in a game developer before. And I had a lot of interest in being part of the complete process and not just kind of making assets on the tail end. So I came in as a a senior sound designer just because I had been doing sound design for so long at that point. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it was 10 years at that point. Oh, wow. Yeah, and... uh, working on all kinds of crazy stuff. It was cool. Like what? Uh, well, so at uh, Sound Deluxe, it was the design music group wing of the company, and it was mostly interactive stuff, so game, sound design, 
um, stuff for location-based entertainment, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And uh, God, I worked with so many different awesome clients uh, mm-hmm. with Microsoft and like worked on the Fable franchise and Gears of War, got a lot of cool experience working on games for Capcom, like Lost Planet, some of the Resident Evil games, and then just working on everything else from you know, Need for Speed and Bayonetta and Metal Gear and just all these really cool franchises. And it was just rapid fire nonstop all the time. (laughs) So we're bouncing around a lot, doing a lot of like aesthetic context switching, like cartoony stuff one day and maybe fantasy stuff the next day and maybe like two months later doing crazy car chases and stuff like that. So fun. Definitely a lot. (laughs) So I I have so many more questions already that aren't on this list. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, sure. Let's do it. I am curious, and we can segue back into League in just a second here, but uh, I'm curious how you got into sound design. Oh, boy. Well, so I went to to college at the University of Cincinnati. They have a really awesome program in the music college called the Electronic Media Program, um, which is kind of like a, you know, you're kind of dipping your toes in a lot of different aspects of entertainment and media. And, uh, you know, stuff like video and film and web design and, and audio production. And I really gravitated towards the audio production stuff late in my junior year. Um, but it was mostly based around music recording, uh, music production, that kind of stuff. I really liked that. And uh, my wife and I, who I met in the program, we ended up moving out to L.A. on advice of our uh, professor, Tom Haynes. Hello, Tom, if you're listening. <laughs> And uh, we just kind of dove in. We did a quick kind of six-month, really intensive, hands-on training course at the uh, Los Angeles Recording Workshop. And then— You and your wife? By, uh, yeah, we both did. Oh, who's your wife? Her name is Shannon. Oh, cool. Shannon Beaumont. Okay. Yeah, she's a ADR supervisor for some TV shows. Oh, So we're cool. both kind of in the same line of work still. Nice. Sorry, carry yeah. on. No, no problem. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I think—and you talked to Jackie Schreiber not that long ago. Yep. And so we are— old, old friends. So she actually got my foot in the door at Sound Alux. Um, they were looking for people to edit voiceover and dialogue for, at that time, it was uh, EverQuest 2. Hmm. And I think it was something like 850 billion lines of voiceover for that game. <laughs> so they needed people that, you know, needed people that were, were quick with Pro Tools and uh, could do that stuff. So, you know, I worked graveyard shift for probably a year doing that day in and day out. And wow. that was rough, but definitely got quick. Um, and at that point, The studio needed some younger blood in the sound design department, and uh, there was an opportunity to kind of, you know, shadow and mentor some really, really world-class sound designers, and uh, they started throwing us on stuff, and that was amazing, and that's kind of how it started. I had no idea what I was doing. I knew I had a weird, crazy imagination, but uh, in terms of, you know, the actual process of sound design, I I had no idea. So I had all these great mentors around me, and it was really just that. So about League, you you mentioned how much you loved it and how you were in it in beta. And I'm curious what you love about it. Just tell us, uh, you know, what, why you're passionate about the game in the first place. It's so, so, so replayable and you can never, well, 
I'm still to this day not that great at it, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's just the, the competitive aspect of it, the fact that it's always changing and evolving. There's always new stuff to learn. Mm-hmm. We put out new patches for players every two weeks, so there's always something new coming out. There's always little tiny balance changes. There's always something new to master, and that's really gratifying. Even if mm-hmm. I'm not necessarily mastering it, you know, it's nice to work towards that. Sure. Uh, and there's there's new content, and I think just uh, the entire ecosystem around League is really fun. The fans and the players at large are just amazing, like some of the most passionate people. Um, The whole cosplay scene, the esports scene, it's really cool. And it also occurs to me that it's possible there could be a person or two listening or more that has no idea what League is. So will you just describe it a little bit and explain what a MOBA is and all that good stuff? Yeah, sure. So um, MOBA is an acronym for uh, Multiplayer Online Battle Arena, and that's the genre. Um, and essentially what you're trying to do is um, destroy the other team's base. Um, you're on a t- in League of Legends, like the kind of stock-based version of League. You're on a team of five against another team of five. The map is sort of a square, sort of a square, and there's a base in each corner, the two corners, uh, bottom mm-hmm. left and top right. And uh, you're basically just driving with your team and strategizing to basically take down the other enemy team's turrets and uh, eventually destroy their nexus, which is just mm-hmm. this big crystal. And it's, you know, games are about 30 to 45 minutes, maybe longer, depending on skill level. Uh, And yeah, it's just a whole lot of fun. There's, uh, you know, over 130 different unique characters. And I think that's that's one of the most fun parts about it is that certain people gravitate towards certain certain champions because they identify with them in some way or they like that play style. And you can just kind of master them, move on to something else. And it's it's all so situational. And I just love it. (laughs) So since... League is a MOBA. How does that affect the sound design, if at all? I mean, do you think you would approach it differently if it were an open world experience or something like, something along those lines? Yeah, definitely. You know, one of the things we don't do is get overly detailed with stuff like movement foley or, you know, we don't have footsteps in the game for the most part. Mm-hmm. Foley um, is sound effects, yeah. Sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, like the actual, the movement of the characters, you know, armor or, I mean, if they're a creature, like they're creaking skin or something like that. Mm-hmm. We don't put a huge emphasis on that stuff. It's more about each of the champions' unique abilities and their spells. And, you know, I think a lot of our sound design tends to have a really strong tonal component so that it's identifiable and it cuts through in the mix. Um, so players start to learn those those kind of sonic palettes for each champion and that they always know what's going on when 10 different champions are shooting their spells off at once in the middle of a hectic team fight. Right. Um, they should have some kind of an idea of what's happening. Sure. I mean, you said there's, what, 130 different characters? There's over 130. We um, just released, or actually next week we have two new champions coming out, so that's pretty fun. Yeah. So how do you organize yourself in a way that all 130 plus of those characters have their own unique sound world in that way? It's really hard. (laughs) (laughs) You know, one of the things we battle with is we have some champions that have been around since... The beginning of the game, and mm-hmm. back in those days, the production schedule was a lot quicker. Um, there wasn't as much time to explore and, and iterate on stuff. So I think what we've seen in the past few years as we've kind of grown the team a little bit and, and basically put more time and effort into the exploratory and conceptual design process, we're able to kind of like find that unique thing about each champion and then kind of create more or less sonic pillars for those champs and uh, rally around those and make sure that they're not conflicting with existing champion sounds too much.
So you have like major sounding ones and minor sounding ones <laughs> in terms <laughs> well, of like the sword might strike a, a certain tone and their boots might make a different tone and their spell might make a certain tone. You know what I mean? Is that what you're yeah, talking about? Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Yeah, it's uh, it's cool too because all the champions, they all originate from some, you know, city-state or some region in the uh, planet that they all live on. Okay. And uh, that's been really fun to explore. So we kind of have established, you know, unique tonalities for a champion that hails from Demacia, which is kind of a one region, and then maybe Zon, which is this other subterranean city-state. Um, so we've got all these opportunities to kind of align them with those thematics, and that's been really helpful. that you're putting out expansions every two weeks, basically, like new yeah. new stuff. So this is nothing like AAA game or something like that where there's this big crunch, right? You're right. just kind of always sort of crunching, right? Well, it would seem that way, but <laughs> that's kind of the reason we have such a big team. Basically, one of the great things that you know, Riot let us do and Riot actually insisted that we do is having sound designers embedded on the teams that are making stuff. So there's multiple different teams working on different things at any given time. Okay. And they're all in different stages of production. So one sound designer might be uh, working with a team on a champion for quite a while. And they're there on the ground floor during the concept phase through the entirety of the production. So while concept artists are coming up with concept sketches for what this champion might be, and they're working with the whole pods, uh, champion pods, the sound designer's there at the table, and they're all, all, all having that discussion to figure out what this champion's going to be. So there's time to uh, you know go out and do field recording or fully recording and do all kinds of exploratory sound design and stuff, which is an insane luxury. So <laughs> we try to keep people from getting into those... Uh, those typical industry kind of crunch modes mm -hmm. just by having a, a bigger staff and having those sound designers embedded early on. What are some of the favorite things that you've gotten to record in the field? Oh, geez, in the field? Yeah. Um, for League of Legends or for anything? Anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I think, like, uh, gun recordings are always interesting. There's something kind of fun and sexy about going out and finding interesting— I mean, not even just recording the guns themselves, but hearing the way that the gunshots react in the environment, hearing, like, slapbacks from different canyons and stuff like that. But, hmm. oh, geez, we've recorded so much different stuff. Oh, everything. So random. Like, being under the Santa Monica Pier— and, you know, recording those big creaky wood timbers as cars go over them and maybe stashing them away for three years and using them for some cool cinematic three years later or something. So hmm. animals are really fun to record. It's fun recording my dog and using that for stuff. He, <laughs> he showed up in one of the Tony Hawk games a while nice. ago, <laughs> just randomly. So he's eternalized in that. Oh, and one of the things we always say is we kind of feel like professional children. We're just doing something crazy like slopping around dog food and wet flour inside balloons and stuff to make blob creatures and just stopping and saying like, oh my God, we are getting paid for this. This is bananas. <laughs>
balance, what kinds of discussions, I guess, is what I'm looking for, go on when you're talking about balancing all the audio elements in a game? Because in League, uh, you know, you've got all the music. I imagine the, the players have a little bit of VO from time to time, perhaps, and there's all the other sound effects, all kinds of things going on, you know. So talk to me about how you figure out what gets precedence and, and things like that. That's kind of the hardest. <laughs> it's the hardest part of our job, especially on League. Uh, I think just in game development in general, it's so so hard to find that balance. And um, with something like League, where the game is changing millisecond to millisecond, and you're just required to make split second decisions based on you know what's happening at any given time, it's it's hard. I guess our best effort at this point has just been to come up with priority systems basically on what's the most important sound that players should be hearing at any given time and you know giving precedence to that and ducking the sounds of other things when those sounds are playing but even then it's situational so you know somebody that could be using their ultimate spell ability but maybe they used it wrong in the wrong spot so it doesn't really affect you like is that as important as somebody doing damage to you that's standing right next to you that mm-hmm. you know it's it's a constant battle it's actually something that we're having a lot of discussions around now Mm. which is how to improve that mix. And then you compound that by the fact that most players are playing with some kind of uh, voice communication themselves. So they're talking right. to each other and they're strategizing and yelling over each other. So it's uh, oftentimes can turn into quite a cacophony of madness. So oh, I bet. I it's bet. a really hard problem. Clearly, you're a gamer, you're a big league fan, and I assume many other things, which we can yes. talk about if you want to. But I'm curious, when you're playing other games, what are some things that you admire in other games, or what are some of your pet peeves when you hear other audio? You don't have to name games, obviously, but... The stuff that I really gravitate towards is uh, when I, whenever I hear something that I've never heard before, if somebody can kind of perk my ears up by some kind of cool novel tonal palette or some kind of a musical thing. I think Nintendo does a great job at that. Historically, they've done a really great job of giving really kind of whimsical, quirky musicality to a lot of their sound design. Mm-hmm. Even in the past couple of years, one of my favorite sounding games was uh, Rayman Legends because they do yeah. such a great job of integrating the music and the voice and the sound design. It just kind of all works perfectly. So kudos to those guys. Nice. Yeah, I think it's it's that stuff. When I hear something that I've never heard before and I'm really like just really surprised and kind of delighted by it. Mm-hmm. I've heard so much, <laughs> so many different sound effects over my career at this point. It always kind of takes me out of it a, a little bit when I maybe hear like a stock sound that's used in kind of a, a safe way as opposed to somebody that clearly pulled out a banjo and like, you know, ripped the strings apart or, you know, did something crazy with it and just really gave us something new and unique. I try to spend as much time as possible 
talking to folks or if anybody reaches out to me on something like LinkedIn or comes up to me at a con or something, it's always fun to talk to those folks that are just kind of getting started. A lot of the time I tell them kind of the same list of things. Um, I think the first thing is learn to get comfortable with feedback, either really harsh or, mm-hmm. you know, like praise is always good. But um, when you're getting started, it's it's great to get really candid feedback from people that, you know, you respect, whose work you respect. And a lot of times they're willing to offer that up. There's a, a great section in Ed Catmull's book, Creativity Inc., where he talks about showing your ugly babies. And that's something that I encourage people to do all the time. Your first iterations on a lot of things are going to sound kind of rough and, you know, jagged around the edges and don't be, don't be bashful at showing that stuff. I'd also say finding a mentor is really, really important. Um, I think it's something that, uh, so Harry Cohen is a amazing, amazing sound designer and one of my heroes. Um, and I certainly learned a ton from him at Soundalux, either passively or actively working with him in small doses. But he made a really great statement at this uh, most recent MPSC Golden Reels Award, which was um, the mentorship, I guess the art form around mentorship is really kind of, it's kind of dying and it's really unfortunate. Um, And that resonated with me a lot because I do see that a lot. It's folks that are trying to find those industry veterans to latch onto and learn Mm -hmm. stuff too. So to the extent that you can find somebody like that that's willing to give their time, absolutely take them up on that. Mm. I'd say also record, record, record. Get yourself a, uh, even the cheaper field recorders at this point are are super great. Like Zoom makes some really nice stuff and uh, just always have it in your backpack because you never know when you're going to come across a really interesting sounding squeak on an escalator or something. And you might look like a weirdo standing there recording it, but who cares? Getting comfortable with failure, um, that's a big one. Yeah. And that's okay. Those are always great learning opportunities. And then I guess my Midwestern sensibilities would always advise to just be nice to people. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really small community. Don't burn bridges. Treat people with respect and all that stuff. So. Thank you so much for talking with me today about what you do, and it's been really fun to talk to you. Thank you. It's just been a lot of fun, and my my podcast dreams have come true. You can learn more about Brad Beaumont at patreon.com slash level. And if anyone wants to reach out to him, his League of Legends summoner name is Riot Eno, kind of like Brian Eno, only Riot instead of Brian. You can find him under that name in community forums and Reddit and stuff like that. Okay, so tomorrow, which is Cinco de Mayo, for what it's worth, the soundtrack for Siberia 3 is going to be available, and holy cow, it's good. Inan Zur is the composer, and we talked about the significance of the location in the game, or the fictional location in the game, but it is important. He recorded with the Prague Philharmonic, which is a fabulous symphony. They sound wonderful. I don't want to give any more away about our conversation. We start, though, with Inan talking about where the story of the second Siberia game left off.
since 13 years ago. We left poor Kate Walker when she was dying, basically stranded in the ice of uh, Siberia, trying to save the Yukol tribes. And eventually now they are repaying her and saving her. But they have to put her in a hospital. And the story starts from there, that she's in a hospital. And uh, basically, sooner or later, we find out that nothing is as seen. And things are getting darker and darker. And Kate has to not only run away from this place, but also renew and double her efforts to save her friends in the Yukol tribe because there is a graver danger that looming toward them, but also these dangerous forces are also now chasing her. So she's really busy running away from these forces, but on the same time, basically trying to save the tribe. So this is mainly the setup of the story. It's a very involved story. There's a lot of angles and a lot of details and a lot of things that happening it's almost like an interactive movie the location and how that inspired your music? Well, we don't really know where is the location overall because there is no place called Siberia. With, with a, a true. With, with a Y, you true. know. But we could definitely assume that is a, a forgotten part somewhere between Russia and Kamchatka and whatever over there, mm -hmm. basically kissing the North Pole from the other side. <laughs> 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 and basically, it still feels, the feel is very much a communist, decadent, steampunk country. Everything is rusted, metallic, rough looking. It's really cold over there. And... It's not very well technological enhanced and also government ruled. And, you know, we're talking about powers that are ultimate power. The military has a very strong signature, but this is kind of like the old time feel military. Mm -hmm. These guys are basically military. You know, they're not there to protect and serve. They are there to rule and to force their way on everybody else. Sure. So the feel is quite grim and cold of this place. There is not much, shall we say, warm moments. But here and there, there are. One of them is the old Jewish clockmaker. And it's so funny how they brought him because they brought him like really, I mean, the way Benoit Sokal portrayed the whole thing. And he's an amazing artist and he is such a great inspiration for me overall. He's basically the artist who drew Siberia, who came up with the idea, who basically created Siberia. Story-wise, but more than this, visual-wise, because he is a artist for comic book, and that's what he did throughout his life. 
so he portrayed this Simon clockmaker, but it was like from the old shtetl, which is the Jewish old small rural town. Everything, the way he dresses, the way it's like, it's almost before World War One. okay? The way it is, it feels very sort of like diaspora style Jews. But he is so inventive. And if you will help him, he will really help you basically amazing thing. And he also has a daughter and the daughter is like, really a beam of light in the whole thing because she also helps Kate basically overcome some some stuff. The characters overall are very sort of like dramatic characters and very interesting portrayed characters (laughs) over there. And it's fun to write music to these kind of settings. talk to you more about that to kind of what you were talking about with you know these characters that bring some kind of sunshine into the game and I'd love to hear about those moments of light that you got to score because it is a heavy game and story and when you're listening to even just you know the opening few tracks there's a weight to the score which is quite pleasant by the way and we'll talk about that but I am very curious about the moments of light I don't know if moments of light is the right way to define it, but more of a moments of redemption, moments of reveal, moments of love. All these are there. And I think that basically one of the things that was really fun to try to musically portray is this unbreakable connection between Kate Walker and the Yukol tribes. And they are so far away in any way. She's a lawyer from New York, and they are basically a tribe from Siberia that are extremely poor, really under a serious, serious danger of extinction and extermination. But they are extremely brave and very spiritual. And this very unlikely connection between them created such a a great pan in the story that it was such a challenge but also joy to try to describe this miraculous friendship between these two entities. I heard some Tuvan throat singing, which is something I didn't even know existed until I was in graduate school, and it blew my mind. And uh, I would love to hear you talk about bringing that element into the score and explain it, if you would. The interesting thing is the Tuvan tribes did not invent the throat singing and or basically the what we call like two-tone singing, which is basically you're using your voice as a drone, but you're able to sort of like carve out some harmonic overtones in your voice and control them individually. Like the lower tone will be a drone, but then the harmonics 
can change. And this is a really special ability that Tuvan tribe, which is a native tribe, uh, really mastered. But the funny thing is that there is um, Peruvian tribes that are doing the same. Tribes from Nepal that are doing the same. Himalayan tribes that are doing the same. And they all sound really, really close. And we researched it. And... It's like, wow, I mean, I really wanted throat singing, but I didn't know that so many tribes from totally different areas in the world basically use the same technique, something that really started to, you know, go on you like, oh, maybe Arthur Clarke was right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you, know, and, you know, maybe there is something because it's amazing how similar these techniques are. But I felt that it's such a high technique and spiritual way that you could basically produce two notes from you and it feels so spiritual. So I felt that, oh, that gotta be these ukulele guys and girls. This is pretty much how they should sound. Where were the people from that sang? It's interesting, but it's mostly sample-based library. I've added on top of it some of my own, let's say, some of my own voice, some of my own creativity, and I basically used it in a way that it's now totally not sounding like from a library, but sounding very, very live, because unfortunately, I couldn't find anybody that could do it the way I wanted to do it. So if you don't have it, invent it. You worked with quite a fabulous orchestra for this. So I would love to hear you. I love this orchestra. Talk to me a little bit about them. It's funny because there's like some anecdotes, but these people um, from Prague, I mean, this music is really close to them. And a lot of these compositions are based on these modes and style of music. So I felt when they played it, they didn't really in many cases have to look at the music. Mm. I mean, it felt that really streaming from them and they had the right feel. So it was a great choice to choose the orchestra from Prague because they understand the mentality of this. Although you don't really, I mean, they're not from East Europe. They are Central Europe and uh, it's different mentality and culturally there's a lot of differences but still they definitely lived the music and relived the music with us and it was it was great actually got to conduct a different orchestra, not the Prague Phil, but an orchestra in Cologne. Yeah, a couple years ago for Video Games Live playing music from uh, the second Siberia game. So tell me a little bit about that. Actually, we created a medley 
mm-hmm. um, in a suite. And the suite had a little bit of the first Siberia theme that I did not compose. Mm-hmm. And then the theme for Siberia 2. But then we also played the new theme for Siberia 3 a year before the game came out. Oh, very nice. That must have been pretty fun. It was a lot of fun, and there's a lot of love for this world and for the characters, and lots of um, European fans are really hardcore on the game, and um, it's a little less known here in the U.S., but there's so much love for this franchise in Europe. One of the things that I would like to talk a little bit more about would be what we're talking about when we're talking about music from Eastern Europe. You mentioned briefly when you were talking about the Prague Philharmonic that, you know, you're talking about modes and things like that. So let's talk a little bit more about that for people who might not, you know, know what that means to sound like it's from Eastern Europe. I was born in Israel, as you know. And Israel has, I would say that Israel is sort of like a melting pot. But from a musical point of view, at least up until 2000, the most influenced music, Israeli music, was from Russia and from Eastern Europe, because most people in Israel were from Eastern Europe. So I grew up on this music. I grew up on Soviet songs and on Russian lullabies and on all these modes and stuff. So it's in me. It was so natural for me to write this music. So it's the mode, it's instrumentation, using the orchestral palette with some balalaikas. these kind of instruments that really gives you the color of this old mother Russia. <laughs> uh, Erily Brighton, you got a chance to work with her again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and she brought a lot of light because she has this tribal tone that she could produce, but she's also very well trained and her level of production and performance is great. So I was able to get out of her the two sides of Siberia, the tribal side of Siberia, but also the softness, beauty, but also strength and courage that Kate Walker has. Mm -hmm. And that's why I've chosen her to do the Kate theme. such a different game that you have to come up with this with sort of like a clean you know don't expect this game to operate and to be like other you know mainstream games because it's not 
It's all about the story. It's been, uh, I always love having a reason to talk to you. So thank you. <laughs> well, same here. And thank you so much. And I so much appreciate your interest. You can learn more about Enon Zur and Siberia 3 at patreon.com slash level and enonzur.com. Thank you for listening to episode 68 of Level with Emily Reese. Huge thanks to both Brad Beaumont and Enon Zur for their time and talents. You'll see a playlist on our Patreon page. I'm Emily Reese. Sam Keenan is our producer. Say hi, Sam. <laughs> you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Level with Emily. Level with Emily Reese is a production of June Media Inc. Learn more at june-media.com and June is J-O-O-N. <laughs>